Coco Coders cast. My name is Matt, and I'm joined here with Vincent. Hello. And JD. Hi there. And this is our first episode. We're uh, we're doing this. Uh, Vincent and I are at WWDC, and we figured this would be a good opportunity to start a, a podcast. And we're skyping in JD from Boston. Was left behind. <laughs> <laughs> JD is was watching. You were watching the keynote um, in the office today, right? Yep, sure was. Cool. Um, any great features that you saw? Saw a lot. I mean, <laughs> that was a pretty packed keynote. I mean, they and they were moving fast to get through it all too. So um, there's, geez, I so much to talk about. I, I to start with, I guess in the order they went with uh, the watch OS, um, they really did a lot of rethinking on the on the watch. Um, I, that's one of the things I like about Apple. They're they're good at like stepping back and like just completely rethinking how they did something. I really think they did that with the Watch OS this time. Yeah, it, you know, there's a lot of processing improvements, a lot of speed improvements. Um, mm. Still, I, I, I'm wondering, you know, is the watch worth it yet? I think they were really trying to make it happen today. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really, I really feel like early on they were so concerned about um, battery life and battery per, and performance that they really sacrificed the quality of the apps and the quality of the experience. And I think, you know, with Swift they're able to do a lot more and a lot less CPU cycles. I think, and so they're probably extracting a lot more out of the uh, the battery and the, the CPU on the watch. And so they're probably able to you know, sort of focus on those experience things. And, and maybe now it'll it'll feel like it's a little more than just a glorified, glorified notification center. I mean, it, I don't, I wear my watch, but I don't use it all the time just because it just feels like a notification center that isn't on my phone. And maybe, maybe with these faster apps and sort of this rethought design, it'll become more of a first class citizen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I bought a, a watch, but I took it back because I didn't feel like it was worth 400 bucks to have another notifica- notification system bugging me all the time. Mm-hmm. So I may think about it because I do think they things like the Find Friends, which they seem to have – I don't know if they got rid of it or moved it somewhere. But that new dock looks good. Um, they definitely rethought that. And they're doubling down on, on the health apps and the way people use them in a very personal way. Mm-hmm. Um in their day, um, so I, I, uh, I may actually—I don't know—maybe I'll find one on Craigslist before I actually spend full price. But <laughs> well, they, they caught my attention. This is true. They did drop the price, so maybe I'll get a new one. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I am intrigued by uh, some of the ways, and they're integrating it with other parts of the the system with uh, um, uh, the way they're integrating both the phone and the watch and the, the desktop OS together more. It kind of gives a better use case for the watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's still the battery life. You know, I'm, I'm wearing a Pebble right now just because I can get seven days out of that, and it still handles you know some of the notifications. I don't have swipes and taps on it, but for, right. for me, I want something I don't have to charge every day because I'm already charging my phone every day, um, and I want to be able to take you know the the fitness. You, you brought that up, JD, is great. I I want that. I miss having a fitness band. Um, but I also want the sleep tracking. I want it to, you know, 
tap me in the morning when it's time to wake up and um, you know not have to set an alarm every night and have that just ready and, and it knows when to wake me up which is a great feature that I'd love to have if I didn't usually charge things when I sleep right yeah I, <clears throat> yeah I don't know I've been not having to charge mine every day and really? I've been wearing it and I've gotten you know at least 24 hours out of it for the most cases um, my guess is they're probably going to, when they drop the new phone, they're probably going to drop a new watch and it'll have a better battery and a better better CPU, whatever the CPU is on that thing. Yeah, that's what I'm really holding out for. I'm, I'm so close. I'm, I'm right there. Uh, another thing that I'm really close to buying, I don't know about you guys, is an iPad Pro. They uh, announced having the Swift Playgrounds on iPads now, which I, for me is like one step away from having Xcode on an iPad. <laughs> yep. I agree. I have I want an iPad Pro so bad. I don't really have a good reason for one, but I want it. Well, as soon as I get Xcode on it, I want to buy one for the office. You know, I, I go to a lot of meetings. I got to unplug all the things from my laptop and carry that. If I just have the iPad ready to go and I can pull up code and talk about things in meetings, I you know that to me sounds amazing. Yeah, I think they need one more. They need one more size that's in between the two. The big one is just like obnoxiously large. And the other one that they just came out with is a little bit, it's its not quite like the sweet spot. I think they need something in between the two. And once they have that, then it's definitely, um, you know, it's going to be a really killer product. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't held one of the bigger ones, but it definitely sounds way too big. Yeah, it's like obnoxiously big. It's, <laughs> it's just not practical. I mean, it's like at that point, I might as well just carry a laptop at the size of it. Right. Um, right. And now, JD, you missed the platform State of the Union, right? Yeah, unfortunately, I missed that one. Well, one of the big things they announced there that sort of will help have a, in my opinion, a better iPad experience is now an interface builder. You're able to preview the different phone sizes uh, and, uh, uh, God, what's it called? Will you turn the phone? Uh, oh, the, or the orientations. The orientation, thank you. I'm, I'm very yeah. tired right now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, so you can, you know, it, it ties into size classes. You you can say, you know, on this phone, I want to change the display. Kind of like um, having a, a reactive CSS on a website. You can now say when it's this uh, device at this orientation, this shows up or this doesn't show up. Mm -hmm. And it live previews inside of Xcode. Oh, that sounds sweet. Yeah, I mean, you could always do it. It was just a real nightmare to get to. Right. Like, you had to go in and you had to toggle the size classes and all this stuff. And now it's just like it shows you a list of the devices and which ones have that size class at a particular orientation. And you're like, lock into this and you can add all the user elements. And yeah, it just makes it so much easier and so much cleaner to understand. I mean, people need to be doing auto layout anyway and this just makes it so much easier so much easier and and to not have to go through menus to have that preview mode in there oh yes yeah. it's, it's great and it, i mean that's just one of the the many improvements they're making to the new xcode 8 um have you guys started getting the developer download yet <laughs> not yet no <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna wait maybe till tomorrow i imagine that that's so slammed right now it's not even funny yeah i was i was like after the keynote i ran back here to to my hotel room to, to download it and it looks like it just finished right before we started this recording um, so I'm very excited to start playing with that either tonight or tomorrow um, you know there's other great things in there like uh, what we were talking about on the walk over the memory leak uh, analyzer now yeah 
That's amazing. <laughs> it, it will just, you know, like uh, like any other build error, it will pop up that you have memory leaks, and now there's a visualizer that you can see, you know, what code talks to what code with, um, you know, the whole object graph, and it, it, it's amazing. <laughs> like, there's no excuse to have a memory leak anymore. Yeah, it's really powerful. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive that they're doing this. I mean, they had all this tooling all along, and I think now they're just sort of finally realizing that people, um, the 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 nuances in ARC are so fine-grained that they're hard for the human mind to sort of wrap your head around. And so now we're at the point where we really need a machine to sort of suss those out and make it visual so you can see it. And I think it's it's going to be a great... Yeah, it's going to be a boon for app developers to barely be able to make their apps more stable and run better on the platform. Nice. So I think, uh, did you, do you guys have Apple TVs? I have uh, the older generation. Yeah, I have uh, the old generation too. I have uh, the new, it's fourth, the new fourth generation one. I, I, I liked what they had to say about the Apple TV, but I wasn't like the tvOS I wasn't like wowed by it. Um, I, I like the improved searching with Siri. Really love that Sling TV is coming uh, to uh, Apple TV because um, that gets you some sports channels that you don't have to pay Comcast for. Oops, I said it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm pretty excited about that. But the uh, I. I, I it starts to get into one of my big things that you guys know I was all amped up about Siri having an API and I'm still pretty amped about it but I'm a, my enthusiasm has been tamped down a little bit as I've started to realize that it's we've got an API but Apple being Apple and, and fingers in the air like with some conditions right. like they've sort of I, people are calling it domain contained where you can you can do things but they're still controlling how you do it and what areas. Like either it's audio or video calling or messaging or payments or you know searching photos. And they seem to have these two things for workouts and ride booking and things like that. So I'm, I mean, I'm happy that we have more than we had before. I'm a little frustrated that it seems so still so very very controlled, and they're really coming at this from a different way. Then Amazon or Google is coming at this, so um, I'm curious to sort of get my hands on it and uh, give it a shot and see what I can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't fully follow the the talk uh, at the State of the Union, but it sounds like they're you know they, they sort of break down the sentence of what you're you're asking Siri to do mm-hmm. to you know what is the action against what is the action. Um, and so I think maybe as they uh, further the API, we might get more features. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it comes down to just natural language processing is still so yeah. rudimentary at this point. There's been a lot of advances, um, you know, in the last few years that have sort of opened up all this AI stuff that's starting to happen. But you know, it's still one of these plat, one of these technologies and ideas and theories that are still in its infancy and it's and you also got to remember it's happening on the device and not not on a server running on a gpu and so um 
you know when you when you do this stuff on a CPU, you're really constrained by what you can do. So it's going to be it's going to be a few years and a few generations of CPU before they can really open that thing up. So they're probably they're constraining it to these domains and these areas probably to make sure that the current experience is a decent one and right. sort of not falling short. I mean, they're going to fall short in these expectations where it's like, oh, I want to make it be able to do these 50 things, right? But, you know, for the time being, it's like, okay, let's let's really hone in on these particular experiences and make it great there. And then, um, you know, as the technology and the, the hardware catches up, then, then we'll open it up more. I mean, I, I love that they made it localizable. You know, it's in, it's in all 36 languages they support, which, I mean, in and of itself, that's a huge achievement for a company huge. To, to, you know, mm-hmm. not only, you know, like you said, sort of analyzing uh, natural language, but to, to do it for 36 languages and then have an SDK that, you know, it's very difficult. There's a lot of CPU, a lot of processing that goes into that analysis, but to come up with something that even seems close to it, yeah. to me, is amazing. Yeah, and I mean, the point that, that they really sort of honed in on was that it's like you don't have to ask the questions the same way. Like, you can just kind of naturally ask the questions the way you would think about asking them, right? And how you ask something versus how I ask something versus how JD something asks something could be totally different, and the phone will still be able to pick it up and construct the same meaning from it, which is it's pretty pretty amazing feat. Mm-hmm. I'm really intrigued by um, the way they're tying it in into some of the home kit stuff. Some of those scenarios they laid out in the keynote were kind of a nerd's wet dream from <laughs> from home kit control. Mm-hmm. It was it was uh, it was pretty cool stuff. Yeah, to be able to say good morning Siri and have it turn on the lights and open the garage door and <laughs> what all have you. I, you know, I. I haven't dabbled a whole lot with HomeKit because I, I rent an apartment and I don't really want to buy all the things and have my landlord be upset with me. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm very curious what that sort of experience is. To, like, I mean, what do you do? Do you buy special uh, outlet covers that talk to your Apple TV or some other sort of HomeKit device and it just knows what's what? Yeah, there's a bunch of protocols that are still... I mean, I guess they made sort of made the point that they're unifying. I, they didn't really make any specifics as to what protocol they're unifying around. Um, the one interesting thing is there were no Nest products up there, so <laughs> yeah, um, they're obviously going with their own stuff. But it is, I mean, security is a huge is a huge concern. I mean, you don't want your the locks to your front door, or your garage to be able to be opened up by anybody. So hopefully, they've really thought that one out. Um, but yeah, I suspect you buy whatever device and then it connects to whatever network that this thing talks on, you configure it and then it goes from there. It's like now I need a, you know, like $100,000 to go back and retrofit my house with, <laughs> with all this mm. stuff. But it's it's a good point though about because that's a, you know, a large chunk of people that would love to do this but they don't own, they rent. So, um It'll be interesting to see how many of these devices can be done in that kind of situation. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. What would you do? Do you have like a forget all these devices when you move out button? And then the <laughs> yeah. next person that comes in, like we learn there, we learn that they're attached to that person. I mean, there's, there's there's smaller things you can do, like the, the Philips Hughes. Um, mm-hmm. A buddy of mine had that. He 
got it so that, you know, he and his girlfriend could watch a movie and he would take a picture of the scene and sort of change the, the lighting to that mm. scene to, you know, create a little bit more of the atmosphere. Um, you know, certainly something like that you can move with you. Uh, but when you start getting into the, the more in-depth things, like the garage door opener, certainly you don't want that coming with you. <laughs> right. So then right. you get into another weird security concern is maybe I move and I, I come home and I open your garage door. You've mm-hmm. just moved into my place and now I'm in your home because my phone's still hooked up to the central nervous system of the house. Right. Or maybe it's just a receiver that attaches to an existing garage door. Yeah. If it's that, I'll be upgrading. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to be able to just drive up and have it automatically, automatically open and not have to, you know, press a button. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that whole space is still still sort of new and is going to evolve over the next few years. And one of these players, Apple or Google, is going to sort of win that win that space. I don't I don't think Microsoft is sort of playing in it anymore from what I can from what I've seen. So it's sort of left to Apple and Google slash Nest to to figure it out. And I guess with the stuff that happened at Nest the last few weeks, it'll be. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. Yeah. Yep. So another big thing was uh, they they talked a lot about Swift three uh, coming onto uh, iOS ten and, and Xcode eight. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys played it all with Swift three? Not so far. Yeah, I've played with it a little bit, and the changes to the APIs are are going to be great. Um, they're much more concise. They're much more well thought out. Um, it's definitely a change from what people who are used to Objective C are probably um, used to and sort of think like. So there's going to be, I think there's going to be a little bit of growing pains there. But like uh, Chris Latner said, I mean, they want to get all this sort of pain out of the way early so that they can, you know, focus on improvements in the language as they go forward. Um, I mean, I think the one big point is that Swift 3 is opening up to all these other platforms and um, you know Swift as a general purpose programming language is sort of what they were going for from the start and I think it's something that they really need to continue focusing on because it's it's such a um, well thought out well reasoned programming language that you know it just makes it easy for people to sort of think about their problems and actually build something that's performant. I mean, a language like Ruby, for example, is sort of great and has some of these expressivenesses, but once you actually start using it, then it, the performance just goes to crap. And so um, being able to take a compiled language like Swift that's easy to understand, easy to sort of think about problems in, and then actually solve those problems and have it still run at a very high level or a very performant level is, is it's, it's good. I mean, it's it's a great language. I, you know, programmed Objective C for like, what, eight years or nine years before Swift came out, and I really had like that same joy when I programmed Objective C, and now I feel that with Swift. Like I'm just thinking about these problems, and it's like all these solutions just appear, and I think it's, um, yeah, I, I I I love the language and I love the direction it's going. Yeah, I was standing in line waiting to get into the keynote and a friend and I were sort of talking about how great Swift is to this guy we had just met and you know 
he he's a hardcore Objective C guy and everything. But you know, we were saying it's like, yeah, but I still like Objective C. I still like it. And, and you know, I'm I'm one of those people too. I do like Objective C, but I, I love Swift. I love this renamification they're doing. You know, making everything a lot simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that it's a lower barrier of entry for new developers. You know, to to see that a nine year old is at <laughs> WWDC and, and she's writing applications already like that. That blows my mind to, to be so young and to be brilliant enough to get the, the attention of Apple. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an easy-to-understand language. And, I mean, it's something where you can solve, you can approach, I, I think it goes back to, like, Apple's philosophy. Doing hard things should be easy on the platform, and doing impossible things sh- should be hard <laughs> is sort of the way that I've always heard Cocoa developers talk about it. And, and Swift, I think, is no exception. It's... It's an easily approachable language. It's, um, you know, but in that simplicity, you can then really solve complicated problems with a little bit of hard work and a little bit of thought. And I think that's, you know, they they know what they're doing with it. And the fact that they've open sourced it to a community outside of Apple to really take the language, it's 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 going to be good. I mean, I think we're. We're like at the surface scratching point at this point. It's who knows where it's going to go over the years. Yeah, and to have it open source, you know, we're not we're no longer limited by the amount of Apple developers they can put at it. We've we've got the world contributing to this. So you know, Swift is going to change often, but often for the better. Mm-hmm. I think they were trying to get a bulk of the big changes in with with Swift three. Maybe 3.1. I think they're they're really trying to settle this thing down. Um, there, of course, there'll always be smaller changes, but I think they're trying to to settle things down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they want to get it all out of the way now, so that we have you know a few months of pain and suffering while we fix our apps, and then after that, it's going to be you know it's going to be smooth sailing, and um, they'll really be able to get the focus on what they they want to focus on and. Think, uh, yeah, I think it's it's going to be good. There's there's some things that Swift three isn't going to have that I wish it would have, um, like being able to take a base class and extend what um, you know make it conditionally uh, conform to protocols. Mm-hmm. There's this this idea I had for being able to take and make like UI view controllers that conform to you know this protocol that I defined suddenly also um, conform to like table view data source, so I basically never have to write my table view data source methods again. Um, <laughs> so you know I could basically say oh I have this thing that conforms to this one protocol and now suddenly it also conforms to table view data source and exposes these three methods, and it's like boom I write those three methods and um, you know now I can have whatever these suddenly have that and I don't have to go and write this delicate method pattern over and over again I just write it one time and then boom it's across the thing so they need to get that added to the language but that's probably the swift four thing (laughs) so yeah well that's interesting do you you know they they said that they couldn't get the ABI into this release they wanted to to release it sooner instead of waiting for the ABI do you, you feel like if they had gotten that through that would be a little bit closer to you achieving that goal uh i don't know actually i was talking to one of my friends who's closer to the language and he was 
he said that it's on the roadmap, the type of thing I'm describing, but it isn't. It, yeah, I, he didn't actually have a specific reason yeah, either as to why it's there. Yeah, get a few more ducks in a row before they can get there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of talk about um, sort of making a platform agnostic uh, foundation, um, which would be so that no matter what platform you programmed on, all the foundation classes would be available to you, which is probably the direction they need to go in first. And then they can, you know, sort of backfill all these other things that, uh, <clears throat> you know, that they need to do. Which there was some talk, and they're like, oh, they're going to introduce this platform independent foundation, but there was no mention of that. <laughs> so. Yeah, only briefly uh, scan through what's on the docket for the next couple of days as far as sessions. Have you, either of you had a chance to look at what's coming up? Yeah, there's some advanced uh, continuous integration and testing that looks pretty good. Um, saw some of that. Yeah, I definitely uh, wanted to get into that because with them, they they were talking about fixing uh, the issues with code signing and provisioning profiles, and they, they said that you can now have um, separate identities for you know your dev build your your production build your CI build and I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how they set that all up because you know I mean obviously you could always do it uh, but then you've got tools like Fastlane that are developed solely for making that a lot less painful um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see if Apple uh, is, is trying to recreate their own Fastlane uh, they're going to attack parts of it. I mean, it's a million times better than it was when I first started this. Like, you had to manually fire up your um, command line and use, like, code sign to, to sign your builds and stuff like that. So having it now where you just click a button and it happens is <laughs> a lot better. So there's still room for improvement, obviously. So they think they're, they're trying to do that. But Fastlane gets sort of a wider swath of functionality within so it'll be interesting to see like how they what what pieces in the fast lane tool chain get killed mm. JD you're about to say something nope <laughs> um, another thing that I saw is you know they're really trying to uh, improve localization there's now um, did, did they say that it already existed that they have a, a static analyzer for detecting localization yeah, they said they're adding another one for that. Yeah, yeah. There's a talk. Uh, I think it's tomorrow about how to better do localization in your apps. That's another one that's very interesting to me. There's actually at that 9 a.m. block, there's a, like three or four sessions that all have the same things that I want to see, and I'm trying to figure out which one I'm going to see tomorrow, which one I'm going to see when I, I get back home. I'm able to watch the the videos and really digest everything. Yeah, I want to go to the what's new and swift one. I think that's. Um... Yeah, I think that one's pretty important. Um, and then they're following that up with Swift API uh, design guidelines. You don't even have to move. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, see, that, that talk interests me because there hasn't really been um, that idiomatic Swift yet. And I'm, I'm curious if that talk is sort of Apple starting to say, here's how you should uh, format your Swift code. Because we definitely had that with Objective-C where, you know, here is... We, we prefer the, the wordier method names, the wordier mm -hmm. variables. You know, here is what Objective C is, and I, I feel like we're lacking that with Swift. 
Yeah, that's probably learn. Yeah, expose those rich interfaces. Yeah, that looks like exactly what they're going after <laughs> based on the description. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy time. I mean, they this is a this is a really sort of feature packed <laughs> WWEC based on the ones I've been to in the past, and there's a lot of stuff moving right now, and it's all moving in the right direction. Um, I think maybe maybe Apple got accused of sort of sitting on their laurels a little bit, and they're kind of coming out and saying, "Hey, we're <laughs> we're still here, and we're we're doing stuff that's really innovative." Yeah, I felt like it was just constant clapping uh, today, and, and at times people not knowing, like, do I do I clap now? Is this is this the big reveal? Is there more to come? Like, when 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 can I be fully excited? This there's just so much new content and, and features. It's it's amazing. Yeah. So, what do you guys think about the uh, new features around message? I I don't think it's for me. To be honest with you, I, I think. I, yeah, it's I don't I don't need that much in my my text <laughs> messages. I don't I don't need exploding firework backgrounds because someone is excited to send me a message. I find it. I agree. I agree with that. I, I I and at the risk of offending someone, I felt like the the particular set of features I saw today was targeted squarely at a twelve year old girl. But <laughs> having said that what they did really caught my attention um, because the way I look at what I saw in the messages features today was I saw that as sort of a portfolio of examples of things you could do. Um, I saw them really trying hard with design to put a lot of more sort of human touches uh -huh. and the way those interfaces worked and although yes I probably wouldn't want you know all those stickers and all those other things um, there were some features there that were really impactful, like the way they they put the different ways you could send a message as being like bam or like sort of floated in or or things like that. Um, it started making me think like what user interfaces do I have that could use those kind of touches to sort of help them sort of either help the user do the right thing when they need to make a choice or help them engage more with the, the, the product I'm building because it just feels better to them. So I kind of saw that whole thing is, you know, yes, that particular package of features is not something I would be all over, but I saw this sort of a bunch of examples of things you could do in your user interfaces. Yeah, and, and to open up the, the message extension, you know, that opens up, uh, I think it was, I can't remember the name of the app. They, they were using some food app as the example. Where DoorDash. They, what was it, DoorDash? DoorDash. I've never heard of that one. Um, but they, they used it to say, hey, we're getting lunch, and, and they were able to you know create a, a, an order together. That, that feature yeah. in messages I like. Yeah. I, you know what I think? Like, all the, all the flash and flare and chrome and stuff aside, that, that's great. And then, yeah, I think you're right. It targets, like, 12-year-old girls and stuff. <laughs> But this is sort of, um, you know, all these all these messaging platforms are coming out like um, H&M on Facebook and some of the integrations that are existing in uh, Google Messenger. Um, 
you know, this is like suddenly the entire, if you have an app on your device, you have an integration with messages, mm -hmm. or you can have an integration with messages. You don't have to, you don't have to write like complicated backend code to hook into it. You can just write something that runs on the device. And it's suddenly made, um, you know, all these integration points sort of there and ready to exist and completely wrapped into their messaging platform with like, they've actually made the effort be on your side right. as opposed to them having to do the work. And, and um, I think, I, like, I feel like that's the subtle thing that's inside of that that's like the really cool, big, wow feature that's there. And it hasn't, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time for these, these integrations to sort of mature, but um, that's going to be pretty damn powerful. Uh, yeah. Once it once it really grows a little I'm bit. A, I'm kind of amazed by how I mean, you know, we've got Slack has been doing this, now Facebook Messenger has been doing it, and now Apple's jumping on board with all these basically apps inside of chatting. It I would have never guessed that we we would have turned in this direction that <laughs> so many applications inside of chatting and you know, whether it's cutesy things for kids Operation. Hold on. Hello? Uh, oh, we may have lost A platform you. of itself. You lost me? Oh, now you're back. <laughs> oh. I was saying it's intriguing to me that this has become a platform in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Of adding functionality inside of messaging. It, you know, Vincent, I don't know where you were sitting, but I was up in the nosebleeds when they're... Um, doing the, the coding example of, of creating that ice cream um, messaging app. Were you able to see the, the code at all? Was it, no? No, I didn't get to see it. See, what I'm worried about with all these new extensions is, you know, like right now, if I want to do a Today widget, it's an extension, it's a whole separate target, and you have to sort of use um, that shared memory space. You, you define mm -hmm. a, kind of like a mini bundle identifier so that your app can put data in a specific place on the device so that the the today widget knows where to find it. Um, I'm wondering if that's sort of the the path they're going with all these other extensions. Um, I thought they released a whole API around data sharing around that. Really? Pretty sure. Yeah, there was something they. I know they did it for the watch recently. Um, I can't and I can't remember the specific APIs, but I know it made it a lot easier. You didn't have to do like NS user defaults and jam data. No, no, no. This, yeah, it was. Oh, I guess it still was through NS user defaults. Yeah. It was just that shared default. Yeah, no. Yeah. There's a new there's a new way of doing it that's supposed to be a lot easier and a lot more straightforward. Oh, that's excellent. I have to look that up. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't know the messaging messaging as a platform. I mean, they're sort of making everything a platform. Maps is now mm -hmm. sort of this integration point platform which makes a lot of sense it's like you're in the context of these things here do do these related things to whatever context you're in and and I think they're you know that's sort of them owning the platform and being able to take it in the directions that they want to take it and I think that's some place where you know some of these competing phone uh, operating systems just don't have the leverage that Apple has. Like having that complete and utter control over their environment really gives them them the ability to, you know, make these things great and easy to use. And I, I, you know, it really it really sets them apart. Yeah, I, 
couldn't have said it better. They they definitely are trying to give the focus to all these these things that, you know, for me, Map Kit always felt like a, an afterthought, and, and for them to, to bring it up on the stage and then say now make your own map, you know, features, I I think it's a brilliant move, and I'm, I'm very excited to get in and see what I can do with it. Um, I'm really curious how all these whiz bang things are gonna deal with battery life. I, I just I have this feeling that it's not gonna be pretty. Especially with Maps Kit, uh, that, that's a great point because you know right now a, a major battery suck on people's devices is forgetting to turn off the, the location manager and it's updating when well, you don't necessarily need it to be. Yeah, if but if you're getting your location from the Maps Kit, you're probably not even managing your managing the manager anymore right <laughs> so to speak you're not handling the handler yeah uh, yeah I mean but that's that's one of the things that I think the swift move is something that Apple's not really putting out on Main Street is they want to control they want to control the ecosystem from the code that you write all the way down to the CPU and Swift gives them that ability they completely own the compiler they completely own LLVM and they'll be able to really fine-tune the code that you write and make it so optimized that it's going to be much less impactful on battery. And as they start building like back-end APIs and things like, or the underpinning APIs in Swift, um, you know, the battery impact is going to decrease because they'll be really, really optimized for the CPU targets that they're they're running on. Um, and I think that's the part that people are sort of like, oh, great, Apple made this new language, but, you know, really what they're trying to get to is something where they can control the entire ecosystem from top to bottom. So they own the CPUs now, and they didn't own sort of that middle ground in between when you wrote the code and when it was compiled to run on your architecture, and now, now they got that. So they can, you know, they can really, really extract performance out of these things, and it's going to be, um, you know, so maybe, maybe the battery stuff won't be quite as bad as it's been in the past, let's hope. And with the you know the new errors for for memory management, I'm I'm wondering what other former instruments are going to turn into just compile time warnings and alerts and errors, um, because then maybe they'll do a battery analysis as you're writing your code, uh, and we won't have to rely on developers doing what's good for the ecosystem and making sure you're running instruments before release. Yeah, I mean, it is it is there in Xcode. I just don't think people ever go to that tab and yeah. look. It's like, oh, no. wow, it's crazy. It's like we had an app we were working on. The battery usage was like 80-some percent constantly. Oh, wow. And it was, um, we were doing like all kinds of crazy animations based on physics and stuff like that, so it was really eating the battery. But it was an app where you didn't, you would engage for a few minutes and then turn off the app and come back to it later. And when it went off, it wasn't you know, touching battery, but certainly when it was in the foreground, it, it did a number on it. So I think... I mean, given the physics that you sort of described, is, was there any optimizations you could do, or is that just um, what it is? The physics were... The physics, I think, were optimized. It was just drawing the graphics on the screen. We were, like, rendering um, liquid based on based on how you had the device oh, rotated. Nice. Yeah, like one of those old things you put on your desk that would just rock back and forth and have the, the Yeah, yeah. So as you turn the device to the side, like it would kind of rotate, you know, like it always stayed yeah. relative to gravity and it had some waves on it so if you shook the device. Um, which is cool, but yeah, like it did it did suck battery a <laughs> lot. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's all I think all the tooling is there. It's just getting developers in the habit of 
looking there. Um, I mean, so this was an interesting thing. When I was sitting in line, I was talking to some people. You know, it seems like the number of people that are sort of doing cross-platform is much higher than, um, you know, than people sort of think. And I wonder, I wonder how much, how many of these like apps that are sort of bad, bad actors are a result of people using tools like Xamarin to build their apps and and like React Native and things like that, where they're not really. Um, you know, they're not compiling down to Xcode until the very last step, and then even if they do compile it down using Xcode, like what what visibility into some of these things do they actually have? Um, yeah, I've never played with any of those tools, so that that's kind of always um, been a wonder to me of, you know, what, what features do you get with that to check performance, to check um, all sorts of things, memory management and whatnot. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting problem. I mean, I think, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know if they've thought about it yet. JD, um, have you played with any of those third-party app development tools? I have not. I stay pure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's one of those things that I've been curious about, but never curious enough to actually sit down and learn. Mm -hmm. It's just iOS and Cocoa is is so vast that I I don't feel like there's ever, never going to be something for me to learn. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, go ahead. I was just saying, I I when I have tried um, some of these multi-platform tools a, a little bit, I mean, not really. I just always feel the experiences on each of the platforms they're on ends up feeling suboptimal. It never feels truly native to the different platforms that they're being built for. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of businesses sort of consider that an acceptable thing, but for me personally, I just, that I don't like that at all. Yeah, I, I have to wonder how much of that's still the case. I feel like a lot of companies are starting to do native rewrites. I mean, I've definitely experienced it firsthand at my last employer, and I know that that wasn't um, all that uncommon, what they were going for. I want to hope, I want to believe that um, as Swift sort of starts expanding across these platforms, that that sort of becomes... I don't. I don't want a universal tool. I don't want to, you know, do write once, run anywhere type, type type mobile development. But I would like to be able to do, say, here's my data and object layer in Swift, and then be able to use that, write that piece one time, and then build the native UI on top of that, and you know, Swift on an Swift on an iPhone, and even possibly Swift on a Android. But I want to use I want to use Cocoa Touch on the Mac or on the Mac Apple product, and I want to use the respective um, native APIs on um, on the Android platform. I think that I could see, see really getting some traction and being a great way to go. Um, but yeah, like the third-party tools where you're kind of running in this behind the eight ball layer is just not. It's not great. And they're always going to be behind. You know, look at iOS 10. Uh, they, they're they basically redoing the UI. They, you know, everything is, is rounded corners. Everything is uh, that frosted transparency. 
everything's in, in bubbles. And so to, to make your app fit into that new style, for us it's a little bit quicker because we're doing it natively and they, they usually give us a little something to, to help out. All of these third-party tools that are trying to recreate that experience then have to go update their device, their excuse me, their their, their tools, so that you can now have that experience on your device. And that's you know yeah. you, you always have to be behind when you're when you're doing that when when Apple's changing it every year. Yeah, I think that people who these salesmen that come in and promise all these great things that are going to happen if you write it in Xamarin or you know whatever. Whatever other tools are out there, just um, really focusing it on Xamarin. <laughs> well, it's just the one that's like top of mind because we were talking about it today in line. When I was talking about it, when I was standing in line, but I think, um, you know, all these tools they sort of everyone's like, oh, it's got this great promise that you can do this, and you're only going to write your app once, and then companies go off and they they spend the money and they write the app, and they're like, you know, oh wait a minute, we actually have two independent code bases that are kind of. <laughs> jammed together in this really nasty fashion and we could have just written two independent apps for the same price and um, I think people are sort of realizing that and and you know and it's like oh we you know they really want to optimize the experience people on people don't want a unified experience they want a plat an experience that's optimized for the platform that they're running on People who use iPhones know how to do things iPhone the iPhone way, and people who use Android are sort of expecting, um, you know, things to be in a certain place. And when you see these apps that are like, you know, we're just going to use one interface paradigm, you kind of have a visceral reaction that just doesn't feel quite right, you know. And it's like I think I think companies are starting to see the value in that um, that you have to optimize for your platform. Yeah. Um, so we're getting on towards the end here. Um, before we, we close out this first podcast, I just wanted to go around the table and, and see, you know, what are you each most excited to jump into? Uh, JD, you know, do you have anything from the keynote that you, you're itching to start playing with? Yeah, obviously, I'm, I'm big into Siri and the voice capabilities. I feel like the voice interfaces to applications are sort of the next big thing. I think we're still pretty awkward with it, but I'm 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 looking to see what uh, what is capable of being done with the new APIs. How about you, Vincent? Um, I'm really excited about uh, Swift and the Swift three stuff that's coming down the pike. Um, as far as operating spe- operating system specific stuff, I think probably the the language, or uh, sorry, the messaging extensions, I think that's um, really going to be cool. I don't want to write sticker packs, but <laughs> I'm definitely interested in being able to do these context-aware um, things with messages. Speaking of, I just got a message. <laughs> uh, for me, I am, I've wanted to make a watch app since they announced it. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity at work, and, and someone else picked up that those couple of tickets. So I'm I'm hoping to dive into Watch OS three. Uh, I'm very excited to see what I can do with that. Um, so yeah, I, you know, much more to come this week. A lot of exciting sessions, a lot of exciting labs for us to, to sort of sink our teeth into. Hopefully, in our next podcast, we'll be able to report on some of these great new features that we're all excited about. 
Um, I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank JD and Vincent for for joining us today. I mean, you'll be doing it regularly. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, so yeah. We'll be looking forward to it back in Boston. We can all sit around a room and do it. Yeah. Maybe bring on some guest speakers. Definitely. Sounds good. All right. Well, y'all have a good night and talk to you next time. Take care. Later.